There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truths and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Joint Action Podcast, where we have the opportunity to talk about, does running cause osteoarthritis? Now, if you're a runner, you've probably heard many of your family or friends say to you, you shouldn't do that. It's only going to cause you problems in your joints. Or alternatively, Your joints only have so many steps that they can take in your lifetime. And by running, you're going to use all those steps up very quickly. So people with osteoarthritis are often encouraged to exercise and to stay physically active. But what does the evidence say about running? Running, as mentioned before, has often been perceived as bad for the knees. Long-term exposure to running has raised concerns about both the development and also the progression of knee osteoarthritis. And if you have knee osteoarthritis, you might be wondering, is it safe to continue running? On this week's episode of Joint Action, we're joined by Dr. Christian Barton to discuss this controversial topic. Dr. Christian Barton works in both research and private practice, treating sports and musculoskeletal patients in Melbourne, Australia. He currently holds a postdoctoral research fellow, and is the communications manager at Latrobe's Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Centre. He's currently studying a communication master's focused on journalism innovation. Dr. Barton is an associate editor and deputy social media editor 
at the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Christian's research interests focus on knee, running injuries, and knowledge translation, including the use of innovative digital technologies. Hello, Christian. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, David. Oh, it's our pleasure, and thank you so much for sharing a little bit of time with us on a topic that I think the listeners will hopefully gain a lot from and all of the insights that you'll share around that. But before we get into the content itself, just in an effort to get to know you a little bit better, can you just share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day looks like? Sure. So I'm a physiotherapist by background. I did a PhD very early in my physio career, so only a year or so out and started off very obsessed with biomechanics and had a strong interest in that both clinically and also in research. And then finished my PhD, moved to London and spent a few years there at Queen Mary University of London, working with Professor Dylan Morrissey over there, who introduced me to qualitative research. And I guess I started to really see as a clinician barriers to implementing evidence in the clinical practice. And alongside that was doing a lot of interviews with clinicians about what evidence they use. And you realize pretty quickly all the barriers that exist and I guess the mountain we need to climb to, to change things. And so that slowly transitioned my research focus into what most people in research call implementation science. And the simplest way to think about that, it's taking things that we know work from research trials and finding out why they're not used in the real world. And so understanding what those barriers are at a, at a systems level, health professional level, societal level, and an individual patient level, and then trying to develop refine and test interventions to try and address that so there's many different ways we can do that so that's my big focus these days is in implementation science but my focus all the way along has been typically on persistent knee pain and knee osteoarthritis so I've sort of kept that same content but just changed what I obsess about I guess is probably the key thing my typical day probably doesn't exist I do a lot of different things and so I have a day a week of clinic where I see a lot of people from younger adolescents all the way through to older people. I see the occasional elite person and they're varying physical activity levels. So some people are running ultra marathons and other people I'm just trying to get off the couch to do some walking. So that varies a lot. And I really enjoy that day and I try and keep it, I guess, boxed into being a clinical day so I don't get distracted by my research. And then I work at Latrobe University at the Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Center here. And uh, support a lot of postdocs and PhDs within that implementation science space in different areas. So I get to dabble in oncology rehab research and heel pain and back pain and various other things. And then also spending plenty of time at home with the kids. So I, I don't quite work full time. I, I do care for my children at home and that's probably a really enjoyable part of my work week as well. But my wife works shift work and so she gets varying nursing shifts, which means I will be doing my work based around her work sometimes. And so I might end up doing a working day from four till midnight, for example, on, on some day. So that, that's always fun, lots of juggles. It sounds like you've got an incredibly full life and full plate, but you, you look like you enjoy it. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, I enjoy all the different things. And I think what I really value and with the people I work with as well is mixing clinical practice and research is, is so, so important because I think it keeps you grounded in answering really clinically relevant research questions. And particularly when it comes to implementation science research, I think that's really, really important. You know, interesting that you, I mean, obviously from an implementation science perspective, that's critical in the osteoarthritis space where we're really finding challenges getting the evidence out into practice. And there's, there's huge gaps there. But you obviously work in other areas, oncology, rehab, um, and quite separate, presumably from osteoarthritis of the knee. Do they have a similar 
magnitude of problems with regards to the evidence practice gap? The theme seems to be really consistent, which is what's drawn me to some of these other chronic diseases. And we seem to all work in silos, but whether we look at cardiac rehab, pulmonary rehab, oncology rehab, osteoarthritis, low back pain, we have really good compelling evidence typically that exercise, physical activity, lifestyle is really beneficial for both preventing these conditions and also managing them. But our health systems don't support it. Our workforce capacity training doesn't support it and societal beliefs don't support it. So we sort of face the same challenges across the board. I've been fortunate enough to work with the group in University of Southern Denmark and in collaboration with Professor Kay Crosley and Associate Professor Joanne Camp here on a program called GLAD, which some people would be familiar with. And that's been really fun and interesting and taught us a lot about all those barriers and, and how we can start to address them in the osteoarthritis space. But we don't have any similar programs like that for oncology rehab, for example, with some of the work I do with another researcher here, Amy Dennett, in that space. And we don't have great falls and balanced programs out there in the community that are consistent. So the barriers are very similar across the board. Yeah, it'd be great to get in and dig a little bit more into those barriers. But I guess before we get too distracted, because I have a proclivity to do that on a regular basis, might just ask you a little bit, and you may already have answered some of this, but when you're not at work, what do you enjoy doing? Yeah, so for me, hanging out with my kids, I've got a six-year-old, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, they're a lot of fun these days and going over and kicking the football at the football ground with them and running around and at the playgrounds and different things and and hanging out with my family is, is really fun um, and then extended family as well. I really love running and that's something we're talking about today. I run five, six times a week and that's my mental health release, my Zen time. Um, which I, I really, really enjoy. I really enjoy football, Australian rules football. I would still love to be playing, but time's got in the way of that. Um, I keep contemplating a comeback all the time, but certainly love just having a kick with friends and doing that and and watching the game as well. So that's probably what takes up most of my spare time. And obviously when you were saying football before, I was anticipating that you were talking about the oval variety as opposed to the circular variety. But who's who's your favourite football team? And again, we're talking about Australian rules. Australian rules football. So I've been a, a strong Essendon fan for a long time based on my dad. My boys actually asked me the other day why we all barrack for Essendon. I didn't really have an answer for them other than we were just indoctrinated, but it's hard to explain that to little kids. Um, so I just said it's just because what we do. And of course, the Bombers aren't going that well this year. So that's OK. We'll, we'll, we'll have some good times again in the future. Yeah, they've had a bumpy period of as of late, haven't they? But um, I'm, sure they'll, I'm sure they'll come back to good, strong form in no, no time. If you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. It's hard to pick words to identify yourself, isn't it? And sometimes you wonder whether you're identifying who you want to be or who you are. So I think, firstly, I'm an observer, so understanding and understanding my world, which fits really well with the implementation science side of things. I think I'm dedicated and passionate, energetic, and try and be collaborative as well, because I think that's important to try and achieve things. Well, based on my experience, Christian, you do a wonderful job of all of those things. So hats off to you. It's been wonderful getting a chance to, to know you a little bit better, but also to work with you on a few different things. And hopefully we can continue to do that. Absolutely. Now, the main content of today at least was stimulated by an infographic that you posted in the British Journal of Sports Medicine relatively recently, and we'll share that on the uh, show notes for today, but is really centered around the benefits of running, particularly as it relates to people who have pain in their knees from osteoarthritis. Before we get into the osteoarthritis aspect of it, though, more broadly, what are the benefits of running? and particularly as it relates to joint health? 
I think number one, it's enjoyable for many people. So that's really important, good for mental health and well-being. But if we take a public health perspective, we know that physical inactivity is a, a key risk factor for at least 35 different chronic diseases. So we're talking heart disease, diabetes, many cancers, depression, Alzheimer's, etc. And running provides a really inexpensive and accessible form of moderate to vigorous physical activity that you can take anywhere. You can be traveling and run. It's a great way to explore new cities and new places. And I think it's one of the reasons people turn to it and, and really, really enjoy it. There's a few systematic reviews out there looking at health benefits and how much running can be beneficial. Without going too much into the details, we know that regular running participation has all these health benefits related to physical activity. If we'd use a really simple stat of we all would love to live as long as possible because life is hopefully enjoyable. And we typically see from systematic reviews published, the life expectancy of a runner is about three years longer than a non-runner. So I think that's a really nice stat for people to think about out there. And that's regardless of other health profiling characteristics. So if you're a smoker or if you're a heavy alcohol drinker, if you're male or female, if you're older or younger, if you can be regularly participating in activity like running, you will live longer. Now, that's not to say that we should start smoking and drinking and do all those other things, but regardless of all those other things, running is, is very beneficial from that perspective. It helps our sleep, mental health, helps our immunity, our immune system, which is really important. So there's so many different benefits. The other thing is that, and this is probably going to be an important theme of this conversation, is that our bodies are living things and they need stimulus in order to age well. And so if we don't place any loads on our tissues, then they actually deteriorate much faster. So we get weaker muscles, we get weaker bones, we get weaker joints, we get cartilage thinning, for example, when we think about osteoarthritis. So running is a nice way to provide some stimulus. And one of the terms I'll often use with people is it's mechanotherapy, which is a term that was really pushed heavily by Alex Scott and Karim Khan back around 2009 with the BJSM publication, which I think is great. And the idea that we actually use load stimulus of exercise to facilitate tissue health and, and running is a really great example of, of an option that we can use to do that. So I think that's really important. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some great segues from that and there's some fantastic experiments have been done on musculoskeletal health in people who travel into space and take the load off their joints and, and skeleton completely. But it's probably not dissimilar to those people who are increasingly sedentary in terms of what it's actually doing to our, our skeletal health. But so, you know, I think some of the community perceptions there around overuse, abuse, wear and tear, and some of the misperceptions and terms that get used are, are really inappropriate labels when it comes to this. Now, for more specifically, you were starting to touch upon it with the systematic reviews, but what's the specific relationship here between running and if, if you've got any data on it, running loads or intensity and the development of knee osteoarthritis? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really difficult question to answer. And I think researchers grapple with this. What we know from the research is that running is probably not detrimental to joint health, both hip and knee osteoarthritis for that matter. And so I, I might just re-emphasize what Christian's just said there. Running is not detrimental to joint health because I think that's the key message I want to get across today and then I'll stop interrupting and let you continue. No, I think that's good, David. We could probably stop the podcast now, except <laughs> for the point that you made is that there's this common perception in society that running is bad for your joints. And, and so I think we need to dive deep and understand why what we're saying is really important. 
And so when we look at the research, there was a nice systematic review published in 2017 by um, a group, and the names escaped me for a second, Alterna Jelly. And so basically this looked at recreational runners, elite runners, and then non-runners. And so it collapsed a lot of data from about 30 different trials and it's cross-sectional. And what it showed is the rates of arthritis of the hip and knee were much lower in recreational runners. And people always ask me, well, what's a recreational runner? And the challenge with that is it's really vague in a lot of the research. And so the best way to think about it is probably someone who's running three or four times a week. They might be running five or 10 kilometers, but they're not getting too competitive. And so the, the rates of arthritis in that population is around about three or 4%. So it's quite low. If we compare that to non-runners, the rates of arthritis, when they're matched for age and sex and a whole range of other things, jumps up to around 10 to 11%. And then if we look at elite runners, so those who might be getting really competitive, they're running internationally, running in competitions for money. And what we see in that population is that the rates jump up to around 13%. So recreational running seems like it could be a sweet spot for being not dangerous to your tissue health, but actually protective against a condition like osteoarthritis. We don't have great long-term perspective studies to look at this, so we can only rely on some of this cross-sectional research. But nonetheless, that is pretty compelling and certainly conflicts with the, the common belief that running might be detrimental. And one of the ways to think about why that might be the case is to really consider how tissue health is optimized when it comes to cartilage. So we, we see in osteoarthritis, cartilage might thin over time, and we also see changes to that structure. Now, you mentioned going into space, and we certainly do see that when people go to space, their cartilage thins, but people who sit on the couch, their cartilage also thins faster as well. What's really important to understand about cartilage and, and osteoarthritis is that the nutrients for the cartilage come from the synovial fluid, and, and that synovial fluid needs a stimulus to turn over and, and there needs to be a stimulus to, to improve nutrient flow into that area. So when someone is inactive, what actually happens is the nutrients called proteoglycans in the collagen matrix and think of your cartilage like a sponge, the, the density or the concentration of those nutrients is less when you're not loading the joint. And so what that means is the, the sponge, and this is what I talk to patients about, isn't able to absorb water so easily. So when we run and we do activities and we load our joints, the water in that sponge or that cartilage is really important for allowing us to absorb loads and to do activities. And over an activity, that sponge actually thins out because some of the water content comes out. Now, if it's got a high concentration of nutrients in it, then it's able to absorb that water content really quickly and recover quickly so we can do the next activity. If it's low in concentration, that it takes a long time to recover and we can overload very easily. So that running stimulus or recreational running stimulus in my mind, most likely optimizes that. Now, this is me speculating and joining lots of dots together. Um, I think there's a lot more work we need to do in that space. But certainly based on the evidence, recreational running is probably, in my mind, protective against osteoarthritis, not causing it. Yeah, no, I think it's really important just to restate that, that running does not appear to cause osteoarthritis, at least from a recreational standpoint, at least based on the data, Christian, that you're just suggesting there. The rates of development of osteoarthritis are about four times less than if you're sedentary or, or not active. And I think that's really, really important to clear up that misconception that this appears, at least running appears to cause osteoarthritis, which it, it doesn't. Now, obviously, it's potentially a little bit different as opposed to what we've just been talking about, which is really the development of osteoarthritis. If you've got osteoarthritis of the knee, 
is it safe for people to continue running? Yeah, and that's that's a really important question to consider, and we have a lot less research in this space. So we don't have great longitudinal studies, prospective studies of people who have osteoarthritis and, and continue to run and what happens to their tissue health. The limited research that we have would indicate that probably doesn't cause a more rapid progression in osteoarthritis. So that's really, really important. One of the things we know about or, or starting to emerge about people with osteoarthritis is I talked about the cartilage before losing some of its water content and that being important and needing to recover. In someone who has established osteoarthritis, the recovery is slower. So what actually happens is it takes longer for their cartilage health or, or their cartilage to, to reform and become thicker again. So that doesn't mean that running's harmful. What it means is we probably need to be a little bit more sensible of how much we load. So my common advice to people in the clinic is if you've got established osteoarthritis and your tissue health is not as good as it could be and structurally has changed, you might need to have more rest days. So it might be wise for you to avoid running consecutive days too often. So in clinical experience, most people can run three times a week, no problems. And many people get away of running four or five times a week without too many issues. There's very few people out there who can run six, seven times a day, unless they've adapted to that over a long period of time. So if someone's got osteoarthritis, that's definitely the case. So trying to keep them away from, from that side of things. So short answer to your question is I think it's quite safe to continue to run with osteoarthritis, but you need to have the preparation and capacity to do it. So one of the important things that I often talk to people about, there's two things to consider. Don't do too much too soon. So if you get into doing too much running, you haven't run for a while, you've got osteoarthritis, there's no doubt you'll get a pain flare. So you need to build up your capacity. And then once you're able to run, use it or lose it. So if you stop running and you have a few months off, don't think you're going to be able to just go back and run what you were running. And actually, in a lot of people who have established osteoarthritis, even two or three weeks off can make a really big difference to what their running capacity is. And that may be because of the tissue health perspective, maybe because having really optimal muscle strength and power to support running activities, and you might lose some of that quite quickly. So it could be a range of things. So it's definitely safe to continue running if you are running, but just making sure that you build that capacity slowly over time and just don't do too much yeah that's really really helpful and practical advice i think particularly with regards ensuring that people tailor their activity according to what their current load is and make sure that they manage manage that appropriately now i know you do a lot of where you spend rather a lot of time training other health professionals in running and running management and technique around that is there any particular group or health professional that you might point people towards who are looking for specific advice over and above what we're giving today? Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you need to find someone who's got really good exercise prescription knowledge. So I talked to, I mentioned that word mechanotherapy before. So if you're seeing a health professional and going to them for a massage or just taping and hands-on treatment to help with your knee pain, and they're not providing you advice and guidance on how you can optimize your muscle strength and power and and also tissue resiliency more broadly, you're probably not going to optimize your capacity to do running. So seeing an exercise professional is really important. And so in Australia and most of the parts of the world, your two common professions there are going to be physiotherapists and exercise physiologists. They're probably the two key that you would see. And you want to see someone who can give you support and guidance around how to optimize your exercise prescription as well. So you can get a lot out of doing two or three exercise sessions a week for 20 or 30 minutes. 
you don't want to just grab some exercises off the internet because Runners World told you to do these three or four exercises. It's often quite sensible to see someone who would be able to identify that you need to target your quadriceps muscles, for example, and teaching you ways you can do that without stirring up your knee pain because there's different angles you can do exercises in different types of exercises you can do for your quads to help that. It might be that you need to target your hip or your calf muscles a little bit more and build some capacity there. You may already be really strong, but you don't have the ability to generate force quickly to absorb loads of running. So you might need some guidance on building in a plyometric program into, into your training and building the capacity. And a really simple piece of advice for both clinicians and people out there who are runners, going back to that mechanotherapy concept, you don't need a whole high volume of exercise loading to stimulate tissue changes. So as an example, in running, the first 90 seconds, you'll get osteogenic changes stimulated. And after that, you can run a marathon and there's no additional benefits to your bone density. And if we think about trying to build up resiliency of muscles and building muscle strength and power, you really only need to be doing three sets and they're only going to go for 20 or 30 seconds, so around 10 repetitions, but they just need to be appropriately progressed and loaded in terms of intensity and rate of force development. And you can build muscle capacity by doing that, which makes you more resilient at running. So we mentioned the, the myth about running and knee osteoarthritis, we actually put a series of these in BJSM led by James Alexander, who's a master's student I work with. One of the other myths for runners is that endurance-based resistance training is more beneficial than high resistance and, and low repetition. So really thinking through that and talking to your health professionals about that's important. So find that expertise. And I think the other thing you can seek out, which is probably maybe less important, but can be really important in some instances, someone who can give you some good coaching and guidance around your running technique as well. And that's really helpful. So there's some key things we can look at from a running mechanics perspective that we can change and manipulate to reduce stress on your knee. But you really need to get guidance from someone who knows what they're doing so you don't cause yourself another injury. And I'll use a really tangible example for runners out there with knee pain. A lot of people are told to change their strike pattern. So get away from landing on your heels and go to a non-rear foot strike pattern. Now, logically, that makes sense for your knee because you're going to reduce the knee joint loading and people often find it quite beneficial. But if you don't have the capacity in your calf and in your foot and ankle, you're going to cause yourself a stress fracture or an Achilles tendon issue or a plantar heel pain issue. And so seeing someone who can, if that's something you want to change, who can guide you through the process of building that tissue resiliency and capacity to do it is important. And then adequately coaching you and instructing you to, to get there as well is important as well. That's superb advice and hopefully very practical and something that people out there can implement. And it's tremendous, tremendous news that based on the existing evidence that running is safe for people with knee osteoarthritis and it doesn't appear to accelerate progression. Now, obviously, that's the blanket rule of thumb, but are there any particular populations of people that you would advise against running? I think really anyone can run almost. I mean, as we get older, certainly as we get older and more frail, we will lose the capacity to run at some point in our lives if we're lucky enough to, to get to that age. I've seen people who work in similar principles to me with running, retraining and exercise who work with brain injury patients and spinal cord injury patients. And it's so impressive watching what they do. And I've learned a lot from the neurological literature around how to manage runners. 
So when it comes to musculoskeletal injury, even quite traumatic car accidents, severe OA, pretty much anyone can be brought back to some form of running. And even if it's one or 200 meters for that stimulus to help with tissues is, is really helpful. One of my favorite patients is an 83-year-old gentleman who come and saw me at the age of 79. He hadn't run for a few years. He was considering a joint replacement surgery. If we grade his osteoarthritis, he's got medial tibiofemoral OA, grade three on a Calgary-Lawrence some reasonable patellofemoral joint away as well. Now we got him back to running and he's now 83. He comes and sees me every three or four months. And all he ever complains about is he can't run fast enough. He doesn't have pain anymore. He's completely fine from a pain perspective. And he does three or four runs a week. He does a park run every couple of weeks and he does a long run on the alternate fortnight of 10 to 15 Ks. So I always like to use him as an example for people away. If he can get back to running and, and run really well, and I've got a 40 or 50 year old middle-aged person in front of me, there's no reason their body can't adapt over time to be able to run. So that's really important. The caveat to that is some people will occasionally need a short period of time away from running. And it's often off the back of them doing too much running. So if we do too much running, we can, develop a condition called relative energy deficiency and that can lead to all sorts of health implications um, for female athlete health but also males and females when it comes to bone health as well and so in some of those instances we actually need to take them away from running a little bit and try and address some of those health issues and working with, with medicos to help with that side of things and dietitians and then there's also the group who and saw a lot of this in lockdowns that go crazy and just do far too much running and they end up with quite significant bone edema. Um, and this is really common in patellofemoral joints. So you might see someone who, and I've seen this multiple times in the last couple of years, particularly they've gone and started trying to run 150, 200 kilometers a week off a reasonable base, but it's just becomes too much. And they've got this bone edema that just doesn't settle down. So in some of these cases, we do need to give them a period of rest away from running so they can actually get some recovery. But at some point they'd be able to go back to running. So long-term, I don't see very many reasons people can't run. Again, really, really positive and hopefully stimulates a lot of people out there to, at least if they're contemplating being more active, not fear being active in that regard. Now, Christian, we may have already touched upon some of this, but what advice, practical or otherwise, would you like to give for people out there with osteoarthritis looking to increase the physical activity or start running and or do you have any resources like Trek or something that you'd like to point people towards if they want to dig into this topic a little bit more? Yeah, so I'll come to resources in a second because there's a few we can share and we can put on the, the show notes, which is really important. So we've talked about running being safe and the key is to, to really just look at trying to get back to running if that's something you really want to do. I think what's important is really simple concept. You need to be able to walk before you run. So if you've been sitting on the couch and doing no physical activity, don't just go out and start trying to run. So in a lot of people, what I'd encourage them to do is start a walking program. And it might just be doing five or 10 minutes walking each day. And then you, if you can build that up over the, over the space of one, two, three months to be doing 30 minutes each day, then every second day you might start to integrate some running into that. And you can start to do just a couple of minutes at a time and slowly build that up. And that's a really sensible way. If you do nothing else, don't worry about all the exercise stuff I talked about. Don't worry about looking at running mechanics. You'll probably be okay doing that. You might take longer to adapt. If you want to make it more efficient, then alongside doing that walking-based program, what you would try and do is work with an exercise professional and address any strength or muscle impairments that you might have to try and ensure that you've got optimal capacity to run. And before you start running, it's often sensible to start with some simple hopping, skipping, 
jumping type program to try and build up a little bit of capacity. So again, low volume, but gradually increasing your, your intensity of loading. So you're building that tissue resiliency. So your cartilage is not going to complain if you do five or 10 jumps on the spot every couple of days, it's going to be fine. And that's a nice way to reduce your fear of that impact loading. And then if you can work with an exercise professional sensibly increase that loading and get to the point where you're doing decent hopping and plyometrics, you'll really build that capacity to get back to running. Now in the short term, if you're just going for a walk each day, you're probably not getting your heart rate up as much as you'd like to or your general health would benefit from. So what you might do is take up something non-impact initially. So looking at some cycling, swimming, those types of activities. But even then, you still need to be careful about how quickly you integrate into that. So the key is to not do too much too soon. And one of the best ways to monitor that with a history of knee osteoarthritis is not to avoid pain because we have to be honest, we we none of us can do exercise without some form of discomfort and without pain that's just what happens and what pain is is a protective mechanism to stop us damaging ourselves now in the context of osteoarthritis or long-term musculoskeletal condition we become sensitized and what that means is we don't have a high pain threshold like many people think they have they actually have a low pain threshold but a high pain tolerance so you're putting up with lots of pain and what happens is simple activities and even thinking about activities start to become painful. So we can't avoid pain. It's not possible. What we need to do is monitor the response after an activity that's really important. So we don't want to see pain escalating during an activity or a new exercise. And then ideally it settles within one or two hours after that activity. Definitely 24 hours later, we'd like to see that we're back to our day-to-day -day symptoms. So if it normally hurts to walk down the stairs, we don't want to see that pain increase walking down the stairs. It normally hurts to squat down we don't want to see that increase so if we can do that and gradually increase our loading you'll be off on the right track and that's probably a really important process to go through i think that's probably a really helpful point just to clarify obviously that short-term pain that you're talking about that may persist for an hour or two after the activity is probably fine but what flags to you when a person presents suggest that okay we might need to back off a little bit here is it the pain persisting? Is it swelling around the joint? Is it activities that otherwise didn't cause pain that are currently now doing it? What, what is it? Yeah, so if you probably a couple of things you touched on there. So activities don't normally cause pain, are causing pain, and or your pain intensity is increased. And you can use an arbitrary 24-hour cutoff point. And if you ensure that you don't do a new activity consecutive days or don't increase loading on consecutive days, that's really easy to monitor because if on Monday I went for my first run, and then on Tuesday, my pain's a little bit worse. And by Wednesday, it's back to normal again, probably pushing the friendship a little bit, but it's probably not too bad. But if on Wednesday, my pain is still spiked and Thursday, it's still spiked, it's probably an inflammatory response going on. And so that tells us that we're doing too much. Ideally, come Tuesday, we're back to where we were and, and that's what we want to see. And then Wednesday, we can go again. And then if we do two or three sessions at the same level, and we're not seeing any spikes in pain, then we just incrementally increase it a little bit. And so that's usually the process that I'd, I'd go through with people and talk to them about. Wonderful. And so that might be a good segue into the next segment of the show, but I might just briefly, quickly recap, basically just to really restate and confirm that running does not appear to cause osteoarthritis. If you've got osteoarthritis, it's usually safe to continue to run and it doesn't appear to increase progression and We'll include a lot of the links that Christian is talking about there from Trek and otherwise into the show notes. If we just come back to that, so you mentioned about one of the things I've got to touch on was resources. So there's a few resources I'd encourage you to look up. Knowledge is power. 
And there's plenty of naysayers out there about running. And so it's nice to be informed when you have a conversation with your uncle or your brother or your sister or someone who's going to tell you, no, stop running. It's bad for your knees. And so a few resources I'd encourage you to go to. There's a project we're doing, I mentioned before, looking at longer term outcomes of runners who are at risk of post-traumatic knee osteoarthritis and we have a website set up called trail so if you go to trail.latrobe.edu.au there's a great podcast series on there with a lot of different experts and that'll give you a lot of different knowledge about running and potential safety of running for people with knee away on our latrobe sport and exercise medicine research blog if you go to that there's a whole heap of different things about running the running myths that we published in bjsm we actually originally published them on the blog so you'll be able to find them there too so if you go in there and you can just search running there's a little search tab at the top of the blog you'll find a heap of information and then we've set up a knowledge translation platform called trek and so go to google type in trek and my knee or trek and my kneecap there's a couple of great websites there that you can go to they'll have a lot of information for runners and exercises and different things you can do so there's lots of great resources and then you can talk to that family member or friend and go actually i need to keep running and i i know what i need to do now super really really helpful advice and hopefully people out there if they want to know a little bit more can dig into some of those resources just a quick note before we dive into the second half of this episode We love getting your feedback, things we should focus on, what we're doing well, and ideas for new topics to discuss. These mainly come through our email on hello at jointaction.info, but we'd love to hear more through our Twitter account at jointaction.org. There, you can hear from your fellow listeners, and we can have a more lively discussion about new topics and what questions you might have. So again, that's at jointaction.org on Twitter, and we look forward to hearing from you. Now, the next segment is really, again, just trying to get to know you a little bit better, Christian, and it's really just a bit of fun, rapid fire round. So I'm going to throw something at you if you could just come back to me with a quick response. So favorite book? Switch, How to Make Change When Change is Hard. Yeah, I love it. Favorite movie? I'll give you three. Zoolander, The Castle, Forrest Gump. (laughs) A little bit eclectic, but dog or a cat person? Definitely dogs. They're less moody than cats. I've got a cat and I don't think my cat likes me. (laughs) I'm there with you. Favourite quote? Life is a journey, not a destination. Wonderful. Particularly out for today. What is your favourite food? Avocado. Versatile. You can use it for lots of different things. And apparently we've got an oversupply of them in Australia. It's one of the few things of fresh fruit and vegetables we've got too much of at the moment. So apparently we're meant to eat six kilos each. So go for it. (laughs) That's a lot of avocado. But uh, as you say, supply issues are much better than lettuce or broccoli or things at the moment. Yeah. Do you have a bad habit? Trying to do too much, which means that I don't always look after myself as well as I could with sleep and other things. Yeah, well, kindred spirit here. Where would you next like to go on holiday? Skiing in France. Used to go every couple of years and haven't been for quite a few years now because of pandemic and kids. So hopefully get back there soon. I wish you can do that soon. Now, what superpower would you have, if any? Yeah, I talk to my kids about this all the time. I'd be a wizard. And that means anything that anyone tried to do to me, I can stop. And I can also grant myself wishes and more magical powers. <laughs> Is this a Lord of the Rings fascination or something else? No, just thinking logically about superpowers and mythical creatures and what it optimised my capacity in life. Now, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? That's a really, really good question. And I had trouble working out. There's lots of people that I would, would love to talk to. I'd love to talk to James Hurd and chat to him. Very interesting story as a sports person, injuries, managing those, 
there's lots of dramas and conflicts in his life as a coach of a football team. And I think he'd have a lot of insight and lessons in, in life, I think. And he was my idol as a kid as well. Yeah. That was a fantastic story there, isn't it? And if money were not an issue, what would you do? I'd probably cycle between traveling the world and seeing new places and new cultures and then coming back and hanging out with, with friends and family. I probably wouldn't stop work. I quite enjoy it, but my work would probably become a little more condensed into mostly focusing on knowledge translation and just developing resources for people for health literacy. If you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I would start again with both our health system and our health funding research systems. And I would bring in people who can remodel them and change them or literally just start again and redesign them. Architects, engineers, other people who, who are not biased. And I think we could end up with a very good system and environment to work in. Yeah, it's a broken model that's driven towards volume as opposed to quality or equity, isn't it? And, and not driven towards healthy lifestyle either. So there's very, very little focus on it. Very focused on illness as opposed to wellness. But how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role? Yeah, I think reading a fair bit, listening to podcasts and things while running, and then working pe with people with diverse expertise. And I consider patients as part of that as well. So seeing patients. Yeah, wonderful advice. I think we can all follow. I guess my favorite question, why do you do what you do? What motivates you? I get really good enjoyment, I think, of helping people achieve things that they either thought they couldn't do or weren't sure whether they could do them. So achieving goals that they weren't sure of. And I guess going back to the running a knee away, my favorite patients I see, and I see them every week, and people have been told by multiple people they should give up on running and never run again and helping them get back to running. It's a fun, fun job. Yeah, oh, it's, it's superb. Now, given your comms background, hopefully this question means something to you, but if you had a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? So I'm actually going to take this from my mother-in-law and it's not me trying to suck up, but my wife grew up being asked by her mum, what have you done today to help someone else? And I think it's a good concept because if we think like that, then I think we're going to have a, a much better world. So I'd chuck that up on a billboard to get everyone thinking about yeah, no, I think it's it's great advice, you know, along the lines of pay it forward or random acts of kindness. It's a wonderful way to live. And in closing, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people out there who have osteoarthritis? Yeah, your body is amazing. It adapts, but it needs the right stimulus to optimize that adaptation. So don't give up on running and seek help to ensure that you do that. Don't chase the quick fix. Yeah. Right on point, and it's a really good way to close today's podcast, which hopefully, again, is really helpful information for everybody. But in closing, Christian, thank you so much for all that you do, for spending a little bit of time with us, for translating the knowledge that you have, and hopefully doing it in a really practical way that people can take away with. Thank you. My absolute pleasure, David. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. And I really hope that the information that Christian has provided is helpful. We've really tried to focus very much on the myths and myth conceptions about running and its role in the development of osteoarthritis. At present, the best evidence would suggest that if you're a recreational runner, you're much less likely to develop osteoarthritis of the knees than if you have a more sedentary physical activity status. In addition, if you already have osteoarthritis of the knee, in general, it's safe to continue running and it doesn't appear to increase the risk of progression of osteoarthritis. 
Now, Christian's given us a lot of resources that we'll include in the show notes that will hopefully provide further practical advice and suggestions for those of you out there that would like to increase your physical activity and or start running. Between now and when we next speak, please continue to look after yourselves. And if you're a runner, hopefully continue to run. Take care. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.